every once in a while, you'll have some bumps in the road, you'll have some struggles in the journey, even in the middle of a joy ride. Isn't that right? Hey, my name's Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at the bridge, and I'm so glad you guys are here for week two of our joy ride series. Let me ask you a question. How do you determine each day, how do you determine if that day is going to be a good day or a bad day? You have some secret formula, you have something you work with, maybe it's the weather. You get up and it's storming outside and you're thinking it's going to be a bad day. Or you get up and it's beautiful outside and it's cool outside, you know, one of the three days we have like that in, around here, and, and you think it's going to be a good day. Or maybe it's a hair day, right? Bad hair day, good hair day. Maybe it's uh, what activity you have going on that day. If you're going to the office or going to school, eh, it could be good, could be bad. But if you're going to do some activity like the beach or, you know, something you enjoy doing like golf or whatever, you know, like a bad day at golf is always better than a good day in the office kind of thing. So maybe that determines uh, what your day is going to be like. Maybe it's traffic or the meetings that you have. Maybe it's just a flip of a coin. But what, how do you determine whether or not each day is going to be a good or a bad day. The crazy thing is, a lot of times that's the way we view happiness. Whether or not we're happy in life is kind of like a flip of the coin. I mean, it's based on things that are happening. It's so random and it's based on the circumstance of our life. In fact, the word happy or uh, the, the word happiness comes from the word happenstance which is also where we get the word circumstance. So really happiness is dependent on the circumstances that we are in in life. And you might can define happiness this way. Happiness is what happens to us. That determines whether or not we're going to be happy based on what happens to us in our life, the circumstance of our life. And so the result of that is that life has to pretty much be perfect for us to just have a great, happy time. And since life is not perfect and life has all kinds of problems that come with it, it seems that more times than not, we endure life instead of enjoy life, right? Because our mindset is, you know, if, I, if, if, if things were just better, I mean, man, if, if I just had a better job or if I just made more money, or if I, you know, had a different house, or if I drove a different car, or if I was married to a different person, or however you fill that blank in, if I had less problems in my life, I could be happier. And the reality is, life is filled with problems. It's a, it's a messed up world that we live in, and whether it's from our doings or someone else's, we bump into problems all the time. You're never going to have a life that's free of problems. So how then can you ever enjoy life? Happiness is based on what's happening in your life, what happens to us. But there's a better option. And that's what we've been talking about. We started last week and we're talking about in this series. And the better option is joy. Joy is different than happiness. Now, a lot of times we interchange those words. We use them simultaneously. You know, joy, happiness, same kind of thing, but they're really not. There's a big difference between those two. Happiness is a feeling that we have, and we can't choose to feel happy. There's never a time you're going through things, you're just, I'm just going to choose to feel happy. No, you don't choose to feel. You either feel happy or you don't. You can't make yourself feel happy. Joy, on the, other on the other hand, is a choice that we can make. 
Joy is something that we can have regardless of what we're going through. See, joy can share space with other emotions like anger, hurt, pain. You can experience all those emotions and still have joy. Happiness cannot share that space. You cannot feel happy in dark times, in difficult times. It does not share the space like joy does. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is there. It's always there. It can be. And it undergirds us at times, especially difficult times. Joy is an attitude of the heart. It's not a feeling that we experience. It's an attitude that we can carry in our heart and in our spirit. It's a choice. And we've been looking at this. So we started last week looking at this letter. It was a letter written to, by a guy named Paul to a group of first century Christians And these Christians lived in Philippi in ancient Greece. And Paul had been with them on an occasion. And this is about 10 years after the time that Paul had been with them. He writes this letter to them. In the Bible, it's known as the book of Philippians. But he writes this letter to them. And essentially, the message in this letter is, you guys can have joy, regardless of what you're going through in life, regardless of the circumstance in your life, you can have joy. In fact, Every day of your life can be a joyride. That's the message that he gives to them. It's the message he gives to us today. Now, you might sit here and go, well, how can some guy that lived 2,000 years ago know what I'm going through today in the 21st century? How can he even understand the complexities of the issues and problems that I'm facing in the 21st century? How would he ever be able to look at me and say, hey, you can have joy regardless of the circumstance of your life? How could he even do that? Well, if you understand a little bit of where Paul had been and the circumstances of his life, even in the writing of this book, this letter. In fact, the four years leading up to this moment of writing this letter, Paul had been wrongfully accused, trumped up charges. He was arrested and placed in prison, actually in Israel. And while there in prison in Israel, he, uh, because he was a Roman citizen, He said that he wanted to be heard in Rome. He wanted to be heard by Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. And so that meant that he was going to stand trial or be heard by the Caesar of the day, which happened to be Nero. And Nero did just unbelievably wrong kinds of things to Christians. I mean, some huge atrocities were committed to Christians under Nero's rule. But this is the guy that was in charge. And so Paul says, I want to be heard in Rome. They eventually put him on a ship. So he's in prison for two years there in Israel. They put him on a ship sailing to Rome on the way. They were in a shipwreck. They landed on this shore of this, 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 this little island there in the Mediterranean. While shipwrecked, he was bitten by a poisonous snake. He had to spend the winter there because the, the seas were unpassable. After the winter, they sailed on to Rome where he writes this letter Two years he'd been there in Rome in prison. In this particular prison, he is under, uh, he is connected or chained to a guard 24-7. He has no privacy. All of his freedom has been taken from him. 24-7 chained to a guard. And it's these circumstances that Paul writes out of and says, listen, regardless of what you're going through in life, you can have joy. You can experience joy. You can choose to have joy in the midst of some of the worst circumstances you can imagine. So you might question whether or not I understand your problems. 
and what you're going through. But you can't question this guy. He's been through things that most of us will never experience. I hope we never experience. And I think he has a little clue about what circumstances could be like. And he writes out of those and says, you can have a joy ride. Every day of your life, you can experience joy. And you can choose that for your life. In fact, this little four-chapter book of Philippians in the New Testament, 16 different times Paul uses the word joy or rejoice to let us know life can be a joy ride. And today, the passage we're going to look at today, he's going to give us, I think, what is the formula for us to be able to have joy even in the most difficult of circumstances. How we can have joy in the struggles of our life. And the truth is, we, we, we all have, we bring stuff in here with us. We all have problems. We all have issues that we bring with us. Someone once said, you're either in a storm or you've got one coming that you're about to face. Now, that's encouraging, isn't it? Welcome to the bridge. Aren't you glad you came today? Got dressed for that. Yeah, but, but it's true, right? I mean, we're either in the middle of dealing with some problems right now or some storm, or there's probably going to be one coming at some point down the road in our life. So in the middle of those things, how do you really choose to have joy in those circumstances? Well, Paul is going to, I think, give us a formula for that today. Last week, we started in Philippians chapter 1, the first chapter there, looking at the first 11 verses. And so we're going to go and pick up where we left off. We're going to start in verse 12. And here's what Paul says in verse 12 of Philippians 1. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me So the happenings in my life, the happenstance, the circumstances of my life, and again, wrongfully accused, wrongfully imprisoned, shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous snake, now chained to a guard 24-7. These things that have happened to me, he says, have really served to, have actually served to advance the gospel. And again, we said last week, the gospel is the good news. It's, It's that Jesus came. He died for the sins of humanity. That that we can exchange all of our sin, our guilt, our regrets. And we can exchange that for forgiveness, to have a clean slate, to have a right relationship with God, and to have a home in heaven when we die. That's an exchange. That's good news. We don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. We don't have to do a bunch of religious things. We just, from our heart, say, I need you to be my Savior. And we get to exchange that immediately. That's That's great news. That's not just good news. That's great news. He says, so what, what's happened to me, all these things, these things that we tend to get bent out of shape about, these, these circumstances of my life that none of us would want to go through, all those have done has really helped to advance the gospel. That word advance, it's a word picture. And in and, and that particular day, the Roman army, when they would be marching somewhere to take on an enemy, if they had to go through a you know, a really thick forest or something like that, they would have these woodcutters that would go through the forest ahead of them, clearing the path so that when the army gets there, they can just march straight on through and advance on the enemy. And so when he's saying this, he's saying all these things that have happened, they've really served to advance. In other words, they've set the gospel up, the good news up to go everywhere that God wants it to go. It's been clear. The path has been cleared for God to do some incredible things. So, so he's looking at this and he's like, you know, don't get bent out of shape about my circumstances because God is using these circumstances and these things are actually serving to advance the gospel. 
And so because of that, he goes on, he says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. To all these guards that have to be chained to me, he's looking at, he's like, I got a captive audience every day. They can't go anywhere. They're here with me. And so every day I get to share with them the good news. And so it's becoming clear throughout the whole palace guard that I'm in chains for Christ. Because all of them continue to hear the good news. So see, Paul's looking, he's like, these circumstances, they're not limiting to me at all. In fact, they've opened up brand new doors that I didn't have available to me before. So the question that we're dealing with this morning is, how can I choose joy in my struggles? How can I really choose joy in the difficulties or the struggles that I face in life? And I'm going to give you the formula here, but we're going to get back into it. All right, we're going to start from the, the moment of choosing joy, and we're going to see what goes into us being able to choose joy. So, so first of all, our perspective drives our ability to choose joy. Our perspective, the way we look at things, our mindset, our outlook, it really drives our ability to be able to choose joy. Again, we come, we come in here today and we probably have various problems or issues that we're facing in life. It's called being a part of life, okay? And it's kind of the 10-80-10, right? 10% of life is horrible. 10% of life is incredible. 80% is just life. And in that 80%, there's a lot of problems, right? And so we face those kinds of things in life and we bring them in here with us today. So if we could tally up all the problems that exist in this room today, there's going to be a bunch, okay? It's just part of being in life. But the problems are really not the most important part, though. It's how we look at those problems that's so much more important. It's our perspective on those issues, on those things that we're facing, our outlook, our mindset. Because our perspective on those things really, they really began to help us choose whether or not we experience joy or we experience despair or whatever else might come our way. Our perspective, how we see those things, how we look at those things. Now, Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. He had wanted to go to Rome to be able to share the good news. He really wanted to be able to share the good news with Caesar. But now the way Paul had envisioned doing that is by traveling to Rome and maybe holding some kind of big meeting or crusade where people would come and he would stand up and proclaim the good news and people would surrender their hearts to Jesus Christ. That, that's probably the mindset or the outlook that he wanted to have or he envisioned taking place. Well, that's not quite the way he got to Rome. But the fact is, here he is in Rome. Yes, he's in prison. But what God is doing through him during this time is unbelievable because during this two-year period of time that he was chained to a guard 24-7, he wrote a good portion of what we have in our New Testament Bible today. A good portion of the New Testament where people for the last 2,000 years, millions and millions of people have read and surrendered their heart and life to Christ. So yeah, he had a vision of how this was going to go down, but God had a different plan. And God's plan was so much more impactful. He spends these two years writing, but that's not, that's not all, though. 
Because it says that he was chained to these palace guards. The palace guards were the Praetorian guards. They were the, the most elite fighting group in the Roman Empire. They were the personal bodyguards to Caesar. These Praetorian guards, they were so powerful, they were so strong in the, in the, in the Roman Empire that they were the highest paid military leaders in the Roman Empire. And after they had served for 12 years, they were guaranteed a position of leadership in Rome. That's how powerful this group was. And so every day for two years, Paul is chained to these guys. And he's sharing the good news with them every single day. Now, if you were to think about that, and if it was, if the shifts, and a lot of times, I mean, the historians say it's probably every four hours that they would change out guards. If that was true, and if it was a different guard each time, over the course of two years, that's 4,380 guards in the Praetorian Guard that he shared the good news with. The most influential and powerful people over the next several years in the Roman Empire. Now, he could have held a meeting and thousands of people showing up and some people maybe giving their life to Christ. And maybe it lasted for a little while and maybe it didn't go much further than that. Or God could open up a door on Nero's dime for him to travel to Rome and have a captive audience with some of the most influential leaders for the next several years in the Roman Empire to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins to stand back. And he's like, you know, I can get caught up in whining about all the things that I've been through. But you got to understand, God's using these things to just advance the gospel, to pave the way. He's using an incredible, his perspective was such that he was able to, he was able to choose joy in the middle of this. He keeps going. Here's what he says in verse 14. He said, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. He's like, not only am I getting to share with these guards who will be influential leaders in the next several years in Rome, but the believers here in Rome, they've heard about my courage and being able to share. And, you know, courage is contagious. And, and you know that, right? You've seen acts of courage where it just... It spurs on other acts of courage and people become more bold because they see your courage. And so they hear about what Paul is doing and so they become more emboldened to go and share the good news themselves. And so now more and more people are talking about the gospel. And Paul's like, listen, don't feel sorry for me. Man, I'm right where God wants me to be. And he's using this to advance the gospel. He's using this to, to influence leaders. He's using this to create a new boldness among the believers here in Rome. His perspective on these problems was such that he could choose joy in the middle of it. Now, our choice is we can either focus on the perspective that God wants us to have, which allows us to choose joy, or we can focus on the problems, which will affect our attitude. And that's what happens to us a lot of times, right? Right? We start getting caught up and we get stuck in all of the whys and the hows. Why are you letting this happen to me? Why am I going through this? How am I going to get out of this? How are you going to get me out of this? And we get stuck. We get stuck in the whys. And when we get stuck in the whys, we can't see anything else. We can't see any of the positive things 
that God may be doing around us because we're totally stuck. And why is this happening? Why are you allowing this, God? Why, why, why? And the truth is, too often we allow things that we can't control to control us. Can't control a lot of things that are happening to you, but you can control the way you respond to them. You say, well, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know the pain that I've experienced in my life. And you know what? I know this. I know pain's real. I know physical pain is real. Relational pain is real. Emotional pain is real. I know all of that. And I know pain in this world is inevitable, but misery is a choice. Pain is inevitable. We live in a messed up world. We're going to bump into things that cause us pain. But we can choose whether or not we live in misery. But you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how bad they've hurt me. You don't know what they did. I know this. I know heartbreak is unavoidable in life. But forgiveness is a choice. See, we can choose to forgive the people that have hurt us, and it puts us on the road to living a healthier life to where we can choose joy down the road. We can't choose whether or not our hearts get broken. Heartbreak is unavoidable. But we can choose to forgive. See, our perspective begins to change our ability to be able to choose the right path, to be able to choose joy. And instead of getting stuck on the whys and the hows of life, the only way forward is to focus on the where's and the what's. God, where are you working in all of this? God, what are you wanting to do through me? What are you wanting to teach me? Where do you want to go with this? And the more we can focus on those things, it clears up our perspective. It gives us the ability to choose joy. And our perspective, I think Paul categorized what our perspective really needs to be in in another book that he wrote in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, here's what he said. He said, and we know that in all things, not most, not 50-50, in all things, good, bad, the ugly, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Like in your best moments and in your worst moments, God is still at work. And so the perspective that Paul had, perspective that we, may, we must have to be able to choose joy, is that God is always working in my problems. That God is always at work. I'm not just going through problems. I'm not just facing issues. But that God is always at work behind the scenes. And if I know that God is working in these storms, in these circumstances, in these problems, then it gives me the ability to to choose joy, to have joy in my life because God's doing something. I may not be able to see what he's doing. I may may not be able to see going forward what's what's happening out there, but I I trust God and I trust he's working. That's what Paul did. Paul's like, "I, I I don't know where all this is going, but you know what? God's at work. I know that. And I trust him. So perspective drives the ability for us to choose joy. But, but the second part of that formula is that our priorities really drive our perspective. Our priorities in life really drive the perspective that we carry with us. Listen, somebody's going to set the, the priorities for your life. Either you're going to do it or somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to determine for you what's most important in life. 
Now, hopefully you get to determine that, but someone will. And if we don't ever sit back and, 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 and figure out what is, what is the priority, what, what's, what's important, then we're going to chase after every little problem that comes along. We're going to chase after every trivial thing that happens to us. And we're going to be going from fire to fire, putting them out, problem to problem, putting them out. And our life is going to be dominated by all the issues and problems that we have in life instead of focusing on what's most important and dealing with those things and letting the trivial things deal with themselves. Not everything deserves all of your attention. If everything in your life is significant, then nothing is significant. You have to prioritize what's most important in your life because that priority is really going to drive the perspective that you carry. And Paul's looking and he said, you know, all these people, they've been emboldened to speak the word of God more courageously. That's a great thing. But there came a problem with that. And he addresses it right here in this next verse. In verse 15, he said, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. So all these people now that are out there, they've been, you know, they're courageous now because of me being courageous in here. And they're speaking it more boldly. Some of them are doing it out of envy and rivalry. In other words, there was a group that was taking advantage of the fact that Paul was in prison. And they're like, you know what? While he's in prison, we're going to build a following for ourselves. Paul who? We don't know Paul. But we got our own thing going on over here. But then, not only that, they began criticizing Paul. They began throwing shade all over him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and so you talk about kicking a man while he's down. Here he is in prison. And you got these guys out there, yeah, 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 all the time about Paul. And they're just trying to build a following. For, and I'm telling you, nothing will get you down faster than criticism, right? And there's always somebody willing to give it. And so Paul is like, you know what? Some of them are out there. They're doing this out of envy and rivalry. But he keeps going. He said, uh, but some are out of goodwill. He said, the latter, the ones doing it out of goodwill, they do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, those with envy and rivalry, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. He's just calling them out. He's like, listen, I know what's going on. I get the scuttlebutt in here. I know what's going on out there. And I know there's groups out there that just, you know, let me have it. They're criticizing whatever they're criticizing. But this, this is where he brings it around to what's most important and living by the priorities of your life. The very next verse, he says, but what does it matter? And the way that word, that, that phrase there in the Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, the way it really reads, it's a, it's a word that means so what? Or it means who gives a rip? Because that's a loose translation, but it's, that's what it means, right? So what? What does it matter? He says, the important thing, here's the priority, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He's like, yeah, I, I got it. I, I know these guys are out there and they're saying all this stuff and they're criticizing me as the messenger. I get it. But the messenger is not the most important thing here. It's the message. And as long as they're preaching a true message, I, I don't give a flip. It does okay. Big whoop. As long as Christ is being preached, that's the important thing. See, he's looking at it and saying, I have a priority in my life. 
And the priority of my life is not to be known as the greatest preacher that's ever lived. I couldn't care less about that. Priority of my life is knowing Christ and making him known. And however that needs to happen, I'm good with it. And if people are using me as a, as a stepping stone and, you know, to build their own thing, as long as they're preaching the message, whatever. I'm not going to get caught up in some trivial argument. Because I'm not going to allow critics or circumstances to steal my joy. I'm choosing joy in spite of circumstances and in spite of critics. Let me ask you a question. How often do you get caught up in trivial arguments? See, I know you don't, but I have in my past. It's happened to me. It might have been in your marriage, maybe in the workplace, maybe with friends or neighbors. And it's not trivial at the time. I get it, right? I mean, it is so critical and so important. I mean, I, I've got to take a stand here. And a few years down the road, if you can remember what the argument was about, you might look and say, you know, that was kind of trivial. But in the moment, it was really, really difficult to have joy, wasn't it? Because you were caught up in all of this. And it was really hard to have joy. And Paul says, listen, there are some things in this world that you need to be upset about, that you need to take a stand for. But not everything. And if you get caught up in every little argument, then you're going to live your life putting out fires and you're never going to be able to choose joy. Figure out what's most important. Figure out what the priority needs to be because that will drive your perspective and that perspective gives you the ability to choose joy. And Solomon says in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 3 says, in everything you do, put God first. Make, make God the priority. God, I want to put you first. You're the priority. I want everything that I do to fall under you. What you want me to do, how you want me to live, things you want me to say. I want to go to you first before I go out there so that everything I do comes under you. And it says, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Make God your priority. Live under that. And let him begin to prioritize the things in your life. So they don't take your perspective in a different direction where you can't choose joy. So priority drives perspective and perspective drives the ability to choose joy. But then the third and final piece to this is that purpose drives priority. Purpose drives priority. Why are you here? Well, things start at 1030. We're just going to sit here. Till, no, I'm not talking about why are you in this building. Why are you on this ball of dirt called earth? Why do you have the abilities that you have? Why do you have the gifts, the talents that you have? Why do you have the personality that you have? Why do you have the things in your life that you have? Why were you created? Now, I know those are not things that we sit around every day and think about. 
but they are important to us. And there are times in our life when we wonder, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And I would suggest to you that the reason you are the way you are, you have the things you have, the gifts, the abilities, the personality, temperament, other things in your life, it's because you are created with a purpose and for a purpose. And that God, your creator, has a purpose for your life. Discovering that purpose is one of the greatest things you'll ever do in life. Because knowing your purpose begins to help you set the priorities for your life. And those priorities really will drive your perspective. Which drive your ability to choose joy in life. Here's the way... Paul said it about his life in Philippians 1, 21 through 24. He said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I know why I'm here. If I'm to go on living in this body, now this will mean fruitful labor for me. What, but yet what shall I choose? I, I don't even know. He said, I'm torn between the two. I, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is going to be better by far. He's like, when I die, I'm going to be with Christ. I'm going to be in heaven. Now, that's going to be a lot better than this prison. Straight up. I'm just telling you, that's going to be better. It's going to be better than a lot of things I experienced in this world. And so, yeah, there's a huge part of me. It's not like he's sitting there on suicide watch. He's not like saying, I'm just ready to die. No, he is older. He's gone through a lot in his life. He's probably a little worn out. And he knows what awaits him. And there's something about the older you get, the more you focus on those kind of things, right? I've been discovering that myself. It's like the older I get, the more I like old people. <laughs> you start thinking about it. It's not, you know, Paul is... Man, I know when I die, it's going to be so much better than here. And to the point where I, I'm, I'm, I eagerly look forward to that. And so if I'm given the choice, you know, do I want to go to heaven now or hang around? Ooh, that's a tough choice. And I'm probably leaning toward the heaven side. He keeps going. He says, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He's like, but I understand why I'm here and for now, it's more necessary that I stay here. And I'm good with that. I'm good with being in prison. I'm good with what I'm doing right now. Because it's more important that I stay here for you. And fulfilling what God has called me to do. The purpose for my life. See, when we know our purpose, boy, it really does help us prioritize the things that are most important in life. And Paul says, you know what? If I die, I'm going to heaven. That's going to be great. If I keep living, then it's just going to be more fruit and more people, more lives changed. And that's pretty good too. He was in a win-win situation. And the truth is, that's the bottom line for our talk today, is that if you're in Christ, you're in a win-win situation. No matter the circumstances you're facing in your life, if you're in Christ, in other words, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, where he is the Lord and Savior of your life, I'm not talking about a religious thing. I'm not talking about jumping through religious hoops. I'm talking about a relationship where you've invited Jesus to be your Savior. 
He's come, his spirit has come to reside within you. If you're in Christ, you're in a win-win situation. That when you die, you will spend eternity in heaven. But if you're to go on living, he promises an abundant life here on this earth. A life that you can choose joy. He gives you that ability to choose joy. And he can use you to make a difference in the lives of other people. So in Christ, we're in a win-win situation. Even when the worst of circumstances are happening. Even when our life is in jeopardy. Okay. So I die. I know where I'm going. It's going to be better. But I don't want to die. Nobody said you're dying. If you stay here, it just means more fruitful labor. It means more lives changed. So what is the purpose? In other words, if you had to fill in the blank, for to me, to live is blank. What would that be? Because, see, I think whatever you fill that blank in with, that's going to give you a pretty good indication of what the purpose is that you're living for. How would you fill that in? I would encourage you to fill it in with something that's going to outlast you. Because everything that dies with you, not worth living for. See, I think too often we fill it in with things like, for to me, to live is money and possessions. Because he who dies with the most toys leaves all his toys here because he can't take them with him. (laughs) Can't take that stuff with you. You're going to outlast all that stuff. For to me, to live is popularity and fame. I want people to know my name. And to die means that you will probably be forgotten in a few short years. Because nobody really remembers people for very long. For to me, to live is power and influence. But if I die without using them for things that outlast me, then I die leaving all kind of stuff on the table. And the question of why did I even have it to begin with? But when you live for a purpose that's bigger than you, that will outlast you, that's a purpose that's worthwhile to live for. That's a a purpose that you can sink your teeth into. Someone once said it this way, life is not judged by its duration, but by its donation. Your life will not be judged by the number of years you lived. Nobody sits around for years and years and years and remembers they lived to 93. I don't know what they did. They lived to 93. 93 is a big number. That's like in the night, like almost in the middle of the night, 93. Nobody sits around and talks about the duration of people's lives. But they will talk about the donation you left. What you did with your life while you were here, the way you invested your life into other people and the things that will outlast you. 
those kinds of things, your life, if your life's judged on those kind of things, then you found a reason to, to live for something that's bigger than you. And it could be that the reason we get discouraged and depressed so often is that we spend too much time living for us instead of finding ways to give our life away. Paul said, for, for to me to live is Christ, to know him and to make him known everywhere I go. And here we are 2,000 years later still talking about him. And we're reading a letter that he wrote to some group 2,000 years ago. See, I would suggest to you the only thing that's really worth filling that blank in is a relationship with Christ. It's the same way that Paul filled it in. To know him and to make him known. That gives your life a sense of purpose. And that sense of purpose can help you prioritize the things in your life. And that priority helps drive you, your perspective, so that you can choose joy no matter what struggle you're facing. I want you to see, uh, I want you to see a glimpse of someone that's here in the 21st century that's experienced a lot of difficulty and trouble in life. Circumstances of his life are not great, but he's found a way. He's found a way to view those with a different outlook and perspective. And he's found a way for God to use him in spite of the difficult circumstances. His name's Cody Jones. And I want you to check out his story. When I was a year old, I crawled like a one-armed soldier. I have all my limbs, but when I was born, my brain didn't get enough oxygen. And so I have cerebral palsy. It affects my left side. My muscles are weaker. I don't have as much control. I can't turn my left hand over. I have weakness all the way down to my foot. My parents were told that their one-year-old son may never walk or talk. Fast forward a few years, I want to play baseball because my dad's playing baseball. And so I find a way to play baseball. I catch the ball with my right hand. I take the glove off. I get the ball and throw. And that took me to amazing places. I was able to make the all-star teams and my high school team. And come my senior year, there was a video done about how I played baseball and it was really cool and special and a lot came from it. After that video, I was contacted by the director of the Paralympic track and field team for the United States. And, and she was like, Cody, you've been throwing the baseball so long, you should throw the javelin for the Paralympics. And I was like, awesome, but I just have two questions. What's the Paralympics? And What's a javelin? <laughs> and luckily, I, I found out that the Paralympics is the Olympics just for athletes with disabilities. And a javelin is a giant spear. And I was like, yes, I'm in. So I went to college a few months later, and I started throwing. And I broke the American record not only once, but three times that year as I won gold at the national level for the US. It was amazing, and so I was like, I want to go to Rio, the Paralympic Games. 2016 comes along, tryouts are there. This is the moment I've been waiting for. This is what all the struggle has been uh, like leading towards. All those moments kids were looking at me funny or like really curious, why does this kid do what he does? Like struggle is real having a disability. People are always looking at you very curiously. And this was the moment, this tryout. 
and I failed. I missed it. My name was not called on the list to go to Rio. So that summer, I was very devastated. I didn't do much. I did have a little bit of hope though. I was like, God, what are you doing? And God's like, I'll show you. I get a phone call from that same coach that told me about Javelin. And she was like, Cody, you were one of seven selected to go to Rio because of the Russian doping scandal. I was thrilled. I was like, what? And she's like, your plane leaves in 10 days. And we left and I get there and the opening ceremony was amazing. I remember walking behind the flag in tears. It was just joyful. There was a reason for all the struggle and what I went through and this was it. I was like, God, this is amazing. And then I competed a few days later. I didn't win gold or any medals, but I got an opportunity to show people what people with a disability could do. And that opportunity has continued to this day. I go into schools every single day telling people about my story and it is unbelievable the smiles on these kids' faces. They find joy in hearing my story because they know that there is hope for them if they feel different or if there is a struggle in their life that they're going through. So I've always been asked, Cody, would you change your disability? Would you fix yourself if you could? And I say no all the time, absolutely not. God has used my disability for so much more than I could ever imagine. My life motto is it's, it's not a disability, but, but a different ability. Without my disability, I'm not me. Without this struggle, my life's not the same. So what's next for me? Well, currently I'm ranked third in the world, just a few feet from the world record. So I'm training hard, hoping for Tokyo 2020. The road so far has been full of struggles, and I know the road ahead is not gonna be easy either. But God has taught me to find joy in my struggle.